Welcome to the Next Level Brands Podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us here on the Next Level Brands Podcast. We're brought to you today by Kitchen to Shelf, the educational arm of Next Level Brands and providers of online and in-person courses and workshops for CPG entrepreneurs at any stage of growth. If you're selling on a regional basis at farmer's markets or maybe just online and you want to expand your retail distribution, you should look into the courses and webinars from Kitchen to Shelf. Want to learn more about distributors, co-packers, trade funding? Kitchen to Shelf can help you learn what you need to know to grow. Details at kitchentoshelf.com. That's kitchen, the number two, shelf.com. Hi, I'm Steve Clear. My guest today on the Next Level Podcast is Matt Franken. Matt's the founder and CEO of Aunt Fanny's, a line of clean cleaning household products. Like many in the health and natural space, Matt did not set out to become an entrepreneur. His products and company were the direct result of a family medical challenge, which he'll tell us a little bit more about. And then wanting to share with others, he launched Aunt Fanny's first product in 2015. Aunt Fanny's mission is to prioritize wellness from the outside in, creating people-friendly, pet-friendly, and non-toxic products for all. And why not? As Matt says in his blog, we spend 95% of our time indoors. It shouldn't be a toxic place to be. Welcome to the show, Matt. Thanks for having me, Steve. So, um, you know, we talk about clean cleaning products. I didn't mean to make fun of it, but that's really what we're talking about. We're talking about clean label household products that people don't have to worry about having chemicals and all this, this other stuff in. Um, and we're going to go in a little bit more in depth with that. But before that, the question on everybody's mind is, who is Aunt Fanny? Yeah, so Aunt Fanny's actually uh, a nod to my grandmother. Um, she was, well, is one of these gals that um, you see in her room, she lights up, uh, she opens her arms, um, brings you in very close, gives you a kiss on each cheek with her, with her hands on her face. And as she's <laughs> letting go in this, you know, act of love, she tells you, boy, you've gained a little bit of weight or you're wearing a little <laughs> too much makeup or you know, suddenly like, you know, those pants don't look great on you. Um, and so uh, we wanted to, to channel that loving truth teller um, in the brand. And so what a great way to kind of put our, our stake in the sand um, and, and channel her in um, the context of our brand voice and uh, layer it into our brand mission. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's just awesome. Um, so as I mentioned at the top, like a lot of entrepreneurs, um, there's a personal story behind starting this product and some medical challenges with your family. Can you take this back through that and how it transpired? Yeah, sure. Um, so I've got, I've got two kids um, and my, my daughter's the oldest, my son's the youngest. They're only a couple years apart and my daughter was easy as it gets. Um, I mean, just a super happy child, uh, slept a ton, which for any parent, they know like, oh my gosh, sleep, particularly even as a toddler is just, you know, it's hard to come by. And yep. so um, that was great. Uh, and then when number two came along, uh, we got a cold, very cold dose of reality. Um, and, and candidly, he was just a malcontent. It was such a challenge to soothe him. Um, and what we came to find out was that he had um, really significant uh, reflux as an infant which then developed into really severe uh, eczema. Uh, so he bled from his elbows and knees and face, um, which then developed into asthma and a host of other autoimmune wow. issues. And yeah. so, you know, we, we, much like any parent at the time, um, you know, we went to all of our medical providers and 
they were essentially um, offering what I would call topical treatments. It wasn't okay. really about sure. solving the problem. It was more yeah. about uh, being a Band-Aid. Uh, and so um, we did a complete overhaul of his food uh, and his menu. We took out everything processed. Um, he did have some food allergies that we were battling. Um, but ultimately, he didn't improve to the degree that we had hoped he would. And it was at that point in time that his uh, physician said, said, have you thought about the chemicals you're using in your home? Just the, the typical stuff, whether it and, <laughs> yeah. you know, at the time I was like, well, well, yeah, we're already natural buyers. Um, we had natural brands in our home for all of those things. Um, and I'm like, so we're natural buyers. I mean, I, what else can we do? And that's when they said, well, listen, I mean, evolutionarily, your body doesn't necessarily recognize those ingredients. So yes, they're taking a plant ingredient and yes, it might be eco-friendly, but they're essentially breaking that plant ingredient adding what they want, subtracting what they want, and making something unknown evolutionarily to the human body. So if you can get as close to things that are truly natural, not just eco-friendly, but that we've actually uh, evolved with, then you'll be better off. And you know, as a parent, uh, I, of course, run home, go to my Google machine, start tapping away. Um, and you know, I ended up finding out, much like you mentioned, you know, 95% of our time is spent indoors. Um, more than half of all kids have some form of chronic illness these days, uh, much of it autoimmune derived, and, and that the air in our home can actually be up to 500% more polluted than the air outdoors, wow. just yeah. as a result of, of the products we use in them. And so that, that information actually wasn't difficult to unearth. Um, after just an initial search, those things elevated themselves. And so Obviously, as a parent, I'm, I was aghast. I was like, oh my gosh, okay, well, you know, cleaning is such an act of love in your home. And here we are thinking we're doing the right thing and, and we're actually causing him more harm than good. And it doesn't really seem that there are uh, products out there that fit our needs. And once I found out that more than half of all families were struggling with things just like mine, I really wanted to endeavor to help people find the shortest and take the shortest learning curve because I know how alone I felt in the journey. Um, yeah. So if I could help people uh, fast track it for themselves, then I wanted to be able to do that. So, and you guys obviously light bulb went off and you know you weren't the only ones, but did you, were you, did you do a search to try to find some other substitutes out there? Or did you guys be, begin just doing stuff at home and saying, okay, well, I'm going to start with what would be the obvious one, white vinegar, right? I'm, I'm going to start with something and see how it works. How did that Sure. Yeah. Great question. So it was a little bit of both, right? So I think we started to read labels a whole lot more. We started to look at third-party uh, sites that evaluated the chemicals that were in um, some of the products that we were buying. Um, and we just really came to realize that none of them were really up to snuff. Um, and that's when we started experimenting simultaneously, I would say. Um, and I think it wasn't just about, we have, we have pest products and personal products in addition to cleaning. Um, so it was really about looking at the entire household and the, the myriad of chemicals that we actually use in it um, and trying to find a way forward. Um, so I think the, the early innovation was very much, you know, almost feeling like I was back in middle school wearing, you know, in science class, wearing my white lab coat and like mixing and matching things um, just for our own use. Uh, but once I decided to take uh, the leap 
permanently into uh, Aunt Fanny's and formally founding it and starting it, we brought experts in right away. Um, and, and essentially, I gave them the framework through which we wanted to um, innovate. Uh, but they've been a huge help in creating a, a platform for us to explore the highest standards of health and wellness for products like ours. And, and Matt, you weren't in CPG before, right? So this was really kind of a leap. It was a huge leap. No, I was not in CPG before. Um, I will tell you, though, I, I had a little bit of a leg up in that um, my background was private finance. And so my, my business at the time actually dealt with all C-level entrepreneurs or corporate executives. So many of them have started right. their own businesses, or we actually evaluated businesses just like Aunt Fanny's to, to invest <laughs> in. So Right. I had I had enough information to be really dangerous, um, but I knew what I didn't know, and that gap of knowledge was pretty significant. So I spent a lot of time out of the gate working to attract people to the project that knew far greater than I did about CPG uh, and even our categories, quite frankly, whether it's pest cleaning or personal. So were you mixing stuff up in the kitchen sink or a commercial kitchen, or I mean, how does how did that work? And you know, when did you transition to something bigger? So yes, there definitely was um, kitchen sink, but I, <laughs> I hate to be cliche, but there was also the quintessential garage entrepreneur story. And um, I had a, a workshop in my garage. And as you might imagine, with two small kids, um, there's a lot of feeding and cooking and other things that happen in the kitchen. So I was relegated to the garage very quickly. Um, and I think, yes, that's where the... The, the mixing and matching started and my own experimentation of what we could use in our home. But we really quickly shifted to professionalizing uh, the chemistry portion of uh, innovation. And that's when we brought on a whole host of people, not just folks that knew how to do what was in what I'll call kind of their box of expertise. So cleaning formulators or pest formulators or personal care formulators, but uh, at the, the top of our innovation funnel, we brought in, um, you know, ethnobotanists, some of the world's foremost ethnobotanists that study um, certain cultures and the plants that they use um, for all types of either eating, medicine, et cetera, in that culture. Um, we, we brought in food formulators um, because we wanted to explore if, if, uh, our food is evolutionarily adapted to be digested by us. Why can't food ingredients also be evolutionarily adapted to be part of our indoor uh, home care routine? Right. Um, so we really wanted to bring in a really diverse skill set that didn't just confine us to what cleaning chemists know or what pest chemists know, et cetera. We wanted to have some some really different angles of thought that would provide us with a level of differentiation um, against what was already out there. And again, a level of safety, health and wellness that um, our, our mission is founded on. So you were starting off a journey into category, category E's dominated by some pretty big players, um, bringing in some top flight people to give you a leg up on that. Um, we always talk about in our courses and workshops the necessity of having a good business plan, regardless of what type of plan it is. Did you have a business plan that said you were going to be where you are today, or did you start out more modestly, or how did you do that? Yeah, I mean, we started out modestly. So I think, again, given my background, I probably took more measures than most to really validate the idea even to myself. 
Um, and so I, at that point in time, Whole Foods had their uh, local liaison program. So, yes. you know, I marched, marched down to my local Whole Foods and I, I will still tell you, I'm getting goosebumps talking about it. Um, I think he, he now runs the, the Whole Foods in Greenville, South Carolina, but his name's Jesse Rome. And Jesse gave us, he gave us our first chance. Um, he yeah. said, here's the paperwork. Here's, let me know how I can help you. Um, and, uh, once we got into that Greenville Whole Foods in South Carolina, it opens up the region and we could go and you don't get distribution in the region, but you can go and pitch every store manager, um, that you're willing to go visit. And so that's what I did is I packed my trunk of my trunk and, uh, hit the road and I hit every Whole Foods, um, it, twice a month, uh, for probably three or four months in a row, um, in the region until I had product in each of those stores. So definitely started modestly, had confirmation of product and sales. Um, and, and so I think that's when I knew we had something that was a little bit more than a whimsy or a parental kind of right. um, mission. And, and initially that foray was for retail. That was part of the plan. Um, what came about that brought direct-to-consumer to the forefront? Yeah. So, you know, we've been two thirds online um, as far as sales are concerned for almost since our inception. Um, I think that we've always been looking to build an omni-channel business. Um, Mm -hmm. And as you know, and I'm sure everyone in CPG can attest, there's some fairly high hurdles to get into brick and mortar, um, particularly when you're small. Um, there aren't many li- local liaison programs, and I don't even know that Whole Foods has those anymore. Um, but I think for us, it was it was about um, just the flexibility of finding our consumer and meeting them where they're at. And I knew at that point in time that you know all of our customers weren't going to be in brick and mortar stores. So it just made sense to really tackle it. Um, in in whole and look across the entire spectrum of the consumer shopping experience. Yeah, and the and, and the good news for folks out there is that the that um, the program is the was the local forager program, which when Amazon bought Whole Foods kind of went away for about two years. Um, but they brought it back because you know they they realized they were missing something, and part of it was not only just local but also innovation across the board. And it was a great program, but it originally didn't fit in with Amazon's um, vision, I guess, of what they wanted Whole Foods to be. So, but it's it's luckily luckily back. So, uh, That's great. We really really appreciate that. Um, well, the other thing too, you mentioned omni-channel, Matt, and that is um, household, especially household cleaning goods and stuff, are just you know all over. I mean, you you can buy them at Home Depot, you can buy them at Lowe's, you buy them at the grocery store, the drugstore, online, you remember. Um, did, did you obviously started with whole foods because I I think the better for you natural part of it, what was the, what was the plan for attack of more conventional channels? Yeah. So I think we were again, very lucky early on, um, in that I think that the numbers with whole foods were pretty good. We were able to go to conventional grocers, uh, from there. So the likes of an HEB as an example, or a high V, um, and, um, we did some tests with both of those conventional grocers and that both went really, really well. Um, and so we ended up expanding not only, um, our storefronts, but our SKU counts with those retailers. Right. Uh, and then we were able to take that data of course, and parlay it into much larger retailers like a, like a target. 
Um, and so I think you're correct. Our ability to sell um, cross-category and cross-channel has given us uh, some latitude that most brands don't have. Um, but with that, you have to be careful. We don't want to be a mile wide and an inch deep. And so right. I think, you know, we have really honed our focus on um, predominantly natural grocery, conventional grocery, mass. Um, we've explored, I'll say, we've done the dance with um, big box, uh, well, not big box, but um, club, excuse me, and uh, also with drug. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, again, there are pluses and minuses to those. Um, I think for, for the moment, particularly given uh, the accelerative nature for cleaning uh, during COVID, um, we continue to focus our efforts online because it's the best way to, again, meet our consumer where they're at. Um, but I, I, it does speak to the diversity or the benefits of a diversity in customer base um, because you don't ever necessarily get hamstrung. For sure. And that was leading to my next question, which was going to be, what did COVID do to your business? Well, I mean, <laughs> there's, there's been pluses and there's been minuses. Um, I think much like everyone, you know, obviously COVID is something that's uh, it's, it's horrible. Um, and it's, it's not something that we've taken lightly, um, either as, you know, the pandemic in the global sense, but also as it relates to our, our business. And so, you know, we've had some really significant disruptions in supply chain. Um, yep. When you start to look at components, um, you know, you suddenly had players that have never made anything cleaning uh, or pest or personal care oriented that are suddenly buying up all pumps and containers because they want to make hand sanitizer. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, so, so I think... Um, you know, that that continues today um, and it didn't slow down. It, if anything, it actually uh, snowballed. Um, and so yep. I think supply chain continues to be a pretty formidable challenge. Um, yep. Now, with that said, I, I do think that the um, there have been some some benefits where, you know, when you're working with a, a retailer or with um, a, a third party distributor, brick and mortar distributor, um, very rarely do you have uh, much access to the customer. And I think throughout this process, we've been able to get closer to our customer instead of being two or three degrees of separation. We're now ah, um, yep. one degree. Um, and so I think there's there's been a, a, a substantial benefit to that. Um, and, you know, we like to know what our customer is thinking. We want to know how they're feeling. We want to know where they want our, our products to be moving. What are we missing? What are we What are we doing right? Um, so I think that's been super helpful. So Matt, background in finance, um, did you, did you pretty much start traditional bootstrapping friends and family way, or did you go hit up some of your previous clients or whatever and say, Hey, I got this great idea. <laughs> yeah. That's another great question. So, um, it was actually, it was, it was purely bootstrapped for about 18 months. Um, so no, no additional capital. Uh, and when I actually sold my partnership, um, I, I essentially had a, what I'll call it a non-compete. Um, and so what that meant is that I couldn't go solicit my, my former clients really in any capacity. 
Um, so I actually had to start from, from scratch. Um, what I did know and I figured out pretty quickly though, once our sales started to ramp, um, and there is a, a cost structure beyond just the manufacturing component, uh, with test as an example, you have to go through, uh, registrations, which right. uh, are under the umbrella of the, well, there's efficacy, correct. And then there's also, um, registrations under the umbrella of the EPA and with each and every state. Um, and that can be pretty cost intensive. And so uh, we did, after about 18 months, um, bring on uh, a small investor round of capital with um, brand new investors. Uh, and I quite literally started, much like I did kind of walking into Whole Foods, um, only it was on LinkedIn. I started looking for people in my local area that had food, Bev, um, and or you know, broader consumer product um, experience and, and managed to find someone who was our first investor who was on the, the board of Bush Beans, has been a CEO in a multitude of companies. And um, he was fortunate to be our, our first investor. And the next investment um, in that round came pretty quickly after we had someone who, quote unquote, knew what the heck they were doing <laughs> on the cap table. So uh, yeah, I think um, it's, it's still kind of starting from scratch. The omni-channel challenge, um, you, you reminded me that um, some work years ago for Duraflame, which is the, um, the, the logs that are made from the pencil, actually the pencil blanks um, is, is where they get the wood. And we worked with them to get them into Home Depot and, and Lowe's. And one of the critical analysis things was is that in the grocery store, their traditional channel, is that usually the, the, the mom on the shopping trip would go, oh yeah, I got to get a log because we used one, right? At right. Home Depot, the guy is shopping, he buys six at a time. I mean, that's yep. right, just loads them up. And it's like, whoa, we, ne we never thought we could move that kind of volume. And it's like, yes, you can, because it's a different shopper and it's a different experience. And, you know, and there's this sense that, oh yeah, I'm in the big store. I need to take a big thing, thing out with me. Um, you, you, have, you have the full line, Matt, how did you, you started with the household cleaning products. What did you go into next? Was it pet or pest? Actually, no, no. Actually, believe it or not, we started with pest. Okay, um, pest. Okay, yeah. And, yeah, and so we were a single skew company for about 18 months. So we, we've got a patented technology uh, that gets rid of fruit flies. Um, and so one of the nice parts about that particular product, and, and it's, there's a reason we launched it first, is it gave us entree into uh, a few different merchandising opportunities um, in different categories in the store. So okay. it could be merchandised, it could be merchandised in produce, it could be merchandised in cleaning, which is where predominantly you, you have more of the, you know, um, who is our primary buyer, uh, the, the female of the household. Right. Um, and then you've got the pest category, which, um, quite frankly, is typically where your log is and sort of the light, <laughs> light bulbs yep. and batteries. And, yep. you know, it's kind of that um, aisle that, you know, us knuckle dragon uh, dudes um, walk down. Um, and so we chose that specifically because we wanted to learn where that product would best expand. Um, and so up until actually uh, 2019, our, our business um, was predominantly pest. Uh, and in 2019, that actually shifted. We were majority pest, uh, minority cleaning, and then shifted in 2019 to majority cleaning. 
Um, and so Pest is kind of this unsexy juggernaut for us where it just, the category hasn't really been reinvented for a while. It turned really well in cleaning um, because it, in our estimation and based on feedback from customers, uh, the fruit flies are kind of this taboo topic and they're a reflection of the cleanliness of your kitchen. <laughs> and so if, if your kitchen isn't clean, then you shouldn't have fruit flies. So as soon as you have fruit flies, you know, seeing that in the cleaning aisle, it kind of triggers that, um, hey, we should actually, I, I need to buy this. Where if it's in the pest aisle, you probably have to have a pretty severe problem um, to be looking in the pest aisle oh, and have yeah. to get rid of it. So, so you're, you're 100% correct. There's nuances here to how it's merchandised and which categories they're in um, and channels even where products can really excel. We've got a, quite a bit of diversity between our product offerings, even inside of um, the categories themselves. So cleaning, there are certain products that do really well in brick and mortar um, and, and there are certain products that don't. And then sometimes those invert. They do really well. The ones that don't do well in brick and mortar do really well online. Um, so, you know, the experimentation with Omnichannel is, is pretty beneficial uh, in multiple facets. Yeah, and, and, and interesting because that does, you know, we, we look sometimes at um, the e-com side to be a really easy way to, you know, show validity and popularity and whatever. But you're right, there isn't always a direct translation of that product in either size or price or whatever to, you know, to the retail, right, retail shelf. Um, but you know, you mentioned Drosophila fruit flies, right? Is, um, if you're a wine drinker, you know, whether or not you have fruit flies in your house, let me tell you, That's because right. <laughs> they, they go for it. They just, you know, right, right in the glass. Um, but, um, one of the things I, I think that is a little bit of a challenge in, in that area, particularly, you know, it's like if I'm buying a pest control item or whatever, I'm sort of admitting that I have pests. So, right. It's that thing of, do I want to really, you know, don't really, I, I got to get rid of them, but. You know, am I going to take this big honking bottle to the uh, um, cashier and go through it because it's like, oh, cockroaches? Oh, yeah. See what's going on. Um, <laughs> right, right, right. You have you have that. Um, when you when you when you got started and and you were rolling a little bit in the um, uh, in retail, did you add to your? You obviously brought some people in on the R and D end. Um, did you start out with working with like independent sales reps? Did you, what was kind of your first standard CPG team hires? Yeah. So I actually, um, I, I maintained the sales role for the first couple of years. What I did do is I brought in an operations person, um, who was, uh, C-level at a, a cookie company. Um, that was, and they were natural. So they were gluten, one of the first gluten-free cookies out there. And okay. um, they ended up being uh, bought by General Mills. Uh, and so, <laughs> I, I knew, yeah, I knew that um, I, I needed expertise in the operational and manufacturing component of the business. I felt like the sales portion and me communicating the mission um, could really, re you know, be me. So in, in the very early days, it was he and I, and then, you know, a support position. Um, so that's, that was the full complement of employees. Um, once we raised our, our first small round. Um, but I think beyond that, and even more importantly, it was really about the advisors and board members that we were able to bring to the table, um, to get the advice and counsel that we needed. Obviously we could go and, um, do what we thought was right. But if there were things that were tried and true, there was no real reason for us to, to go and, experiment when we knew it might be a dead end. And so 
um, we were very fortunate in the very early days to bring on uh, the founder and now former CEO of Mrs. Myers and Caldrea Cleaning oh, sure. Brands. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, she, we, we've got a few folks like her that she uh, was on our board for five years. She's a backer of ours. Um, and I focused really heavily not only on our investor base, but on our advisor and board base about bringing people to the table that had very specific um, CPG and, and category experience. And so it's allowed us, I think, in many ways to sidestep a lot of the early stage pitfalls that most companies fall into. Um, again, I think I was fairly self-aware and that there was a lot that I didn't know. And I've right. been willing to take a lot of instruction and learn along the way. And I'm just really lucky to have had people like Monica uh, that have um, lent their expertise um, and, you know, just history in kind of changing um, the game in certain categories, not even the one we were yep. playing in um, to come to the table. So, yeah, it was it was important to, to bring those folks um, along. It's, it's so, Matt, uh, a number of the people in the audience be interested, of course, in finding out more about the products line and where they can get them. What's a website we can get some more info at? Sure. So everyone can always go to our own website. That's it's auntfannies.com, um, A-U-N-T-F-A-N-N-I-E-S.com. And uh, we're also on Amazon. You can find us uh, at Grove Collaborative, Target. Um, we talked about HEB. I mean, we're, we're national. So um, we're going to have a host of retailers and marketplaces, uh, online marketplaces and, and e-tailers that you can find us at. And not to, uh, of course, get into anything proprietary, but uh, what's what's next? What's down the road? Yeah, we've got some really exciting stuff that we've been working on for quite some time. Um, and, you know, we've got some line extensions that uh, have just recently launched. So we've, we've done a, a wood floor cleaner. We've done a carpet refresher, which has been a really phenomenal hit here in the oh, last good. 12 months. But we've got some pretty groundbreaking things uh, that are happening likely later 21, maybe early 22, that um, could be some some pretty significant um, IP for us that really, uh, I would say, kind of game changes and paradigm shifts the, the categories that we're in forward. So um, yeah, I think we definitely have more in store, um, you know, given the product breadth that we're, we think we've proven ourselves is we're not a one trick pony. We're no longer fly by night as we were on the early days. <laughs> um, I think, you know, we've, we've grown into uh, a, a nice middle market brand that um, has a lot of room to run. With just back on COVID for a second, with the changes that you've seen in your shoppers, behavior patterns, purchase patterns, whatever else, um, you know, we will get a vaccine eventually, we'll get through this. Uh, if nothing else, it'll run its course with herd immunity. But um, what do you think is going to be happening with the, the changes and kind of the changes in buying habits and stuff amongst your consumers, even after COVID is not with us anymore? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. And I think we can hypothesize all day. Um, you know, I think about it just as, as a category and our, our brethren. So I think about food and Bev, and I think about how those behaviors have changed and how they might interconnect to um, cleaning or pest control. And I, I think for for our products, um, we're likely to be elevated uh, for at least a couple years or more. I, I think that even once there's a vaccine, the, the virus doesn't up and disappear overnight. Um, right. And so 
I think when, when people start to think about um, cleaning uh, or washing their hands, I think they'll, they'll continue to, to do that at a more elevated, higher velocity pace. Um, but even with our, our pest control, we saw a, a really significant bump in, in our uh, pest segment. And if you think about it, you know, no one really wants a um, toxic chemical in their home when they know they can't be gone all day you know, at work. Right. And then moreover, they also don't want a, you know, pest control person coming into their home given COVID and spraying while they're at home and, and possibly spreading COVID while they're at it. So I think we've, we've gotten a nice uh, uplift from people looking at, um, you know, much more natural type of um, pest control products and, and DIY. Uh, they want to be able to do it themselves. And so I think in both of those cases, really in all of the cases, I mean, you know, whether it's cleaning, personal care, like hand soap or, or pest control, that um, I think it's, it's likely to be elevated for at least a couple more years um, until yeah. you know, things normalize a bit more. Looking down the road a little bit, short-term, kind of midterm, um, Matt, what, what things are you looking for? for the business, um, either things that you want to do with it or needs that you have you want to solve or how, how do you look at growing, scaling from here? Yeah, actually, I, I really appreciate that question. Um, you know, it's not often <laughs> a lot of people ask you, hey, well, what do you need? Um, you know, we spend so much time trying to bring a lot of good into the world um, that, you know, when someone asks, you're like, oh, well, geez. Um, so, I think right now we've always been um, big proponents of having uh, strong female leadership on our, our board. In fact, we've had that since inception um, and inside the company. Uh, we've been majority female for years. Uh, and I think we're continuing in that, in that effort. So right now um, we're, we're looking for really uh, quality female candidates um, that have served in leadership positions, either as a founder or um, even in a, as an operator uh, for prospective board roles um, for the company. And so um, I think that's, that's always exciting to add to the, the board that we've got um, and we want to continue. So I think, you know, that's, that's a need of ours um, and probably the biggest right now at the moment. That would be great. I, and uh, I will actually share some recommendations with you. So, awesome. Yeah, yeah, I will take we, them. We, we can do that. Um, so as a way of, of uh, kind of thanking our guests, we, uh, we try to torture them a little bit uh, in the program, Matt. And um, we do that by asking if um, you can single out a biggest challenge, biggest obstacle or whatever in building the business. And more important for the folks out there is how you overcame it. Yeah. You know, and this is... It's a really great question, um, and I can tell you uh, the answer is it's a tough one. I think for anyone who started a business, and it's it's to listen to yourself um, and listen to the truest and most most authentic form of yourself. Yeah, I think you're going to have a lot of people that tell you no, that, it, that this is a bad idea, it's not going to work, or here are the reasons why what you are proposing just isn't going to pan out. Um, and, and so, um, you know, as upset as she might be that I'm sharing this, uh, my first big detractor was my mother. I mean, she, she really was like, Matt, this isn't going to work. Like, I think this is a bad idea. Like I just, just know, um, she's now of course one of my biggest fans, but I think, you know, when you have those closest to you kind of look at you and tilt their head and be like, uh, are you, are you sure you really want to do that? 
um, it's really hard to, to listen to your gut. Uh, and so I took a pretty diplomatic way, um, or approach where, you know, I did, you can, you can do surveys very inexpensively. So I wanted to find out, so for our first product, the fruit fly product, I wanted to find out how many people in America on average had fruit flies in their home. Um, and, and if they did have fruit flies in their home, did they have a product or home solution to tackle it? And what I came to find out is that 75% of the population has at least one incident of fruit flies every year and that nearly no, nearly no one has a solution um, that they can rely on. And so I was like, okay, you know what? Like the data is telling me otherwise, my gut was right. So I think that um, that's obviously a microcosm in the beginning, but uh, for anyone in CPG, I think you also know um, that, you know, you're, you're approached with that type of resistance, whether it's, whether it's buyers or whether it's um, your own board or, you know, it just, it's constant and, and ever relenting. And so I right. think listening to yourself with a level of confidence, but also being open to new ideas and different paths to get you to your objectives is it, it, the balance between those is, is really delicate. And so I would say don't beat yourself up for when you didn't listen to your gut and find out you were eventually right. Um, but I, I do think that following your passion and following um, your authentic self and that internal voice is, is critically uh, important. And I think it's, it's probably more important today because of the level of transparency, social media and everything else is provided to, to brands and, and to consumers, right? Is that I can identify with what you're doing because I know a lot more about you than the person who was buying Tide, right, to wash their clothes knew about anybody at Procter & Gamble. So, Correct. you know, it's, it's that exposure for the good or the bad. I mean, right, yeah, you're, you're out there. But even, um, even some of the larger companies, now whether it's Tesla and, you know, or Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg, you, you know Mark Zuckerberg, whether you like it or not, right? <laughs> That's Mark. That's who he is. He's out there. You got to represent that. And I think, you know, yeah, you mentioned going forward in the um, listening to your gut. It is. There's a lot of people out there who are unfortunately naysayers and sometimes they're absolutely right. Don't get me wrong. Um, but uh, I think the people who are successful have to, you have to go through that. Uh, you have to tack the sales just right to get through that storm. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and, and honestly, I mean, Tesla is a great example. I can remember it was maybe three, four, five years ago and, Elon Musk said, hey, I think it was something like, I won't take pay, but here's what I want when I meet these metrics. And he got laughed out of the room and he's crushed those metrics every single time. And so, you know, he's, he's, not, he's not the one laughing all the way to the <laughs> bank. Um, and, and so I think you do. I think there, there's a level of internal fortitude that it takes to, to really um, know what you're capable of, understand what you're willing to do to move something from A to B. And I, I do think that, you know, if, if you're, if you've got the tenacity and the willingness to do whatever it takes, um, and it, I know that sounds cliche, but I, I really do. I think the world is your oyster. Um, there is no stopping you. Um, there's only you stopping you. And so, yeah, I think your, your point is well taken. Well, Matt, I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today and uh, love the brand, love the products. And it's a, it's a great story. Um, you know, and I can't wait to see some of the new stuff. So maybe when 
that all rolls out. We get a little past COVID. We'll have you back on and, and, and you can talk about that as well. That'd be great, Steve. I appreciate the time today. Always um, fun to you know share our journey and have someone who's interested in learning about our story. No problem. Appreciate it. And hey, thanks to all of you for joining us out there on the Next Level Brands podcast. Our podcast brought to you today by Kitchen to Shelf, the educational arm of Next Level Brands and providers of online and in-person courses, workshops, and webinars for CPG entrepreneurs at any stage of growth. If you'd like to know more about selling in retail, e-commerce, how to work with distributors, check out the free webinar archive at kitchentoshelf.com. That's kitchen, the number two shelf.com. What you need to know to grow. This is Steve Clear, and we'll see you all next time. Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands podcast with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at next with two X's, levelbrands.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the Next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode.